This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I'm reading now from Luke 17 there on the back. If you'll look at Luke 17, let's read verse 11 through 19. Luke says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I selected this reading because I don't know of any story in the Bible that points out the blessing of gratitude and the sin of ingratitude any better than this story. And I want us to look at the map there that you see on the front side and briefly notice some of the details of the story and, and uh, point out some things on the map. You'll see a line there, a red dotted line on your map that runs from Jerusalem there at the bottom up to Galilee at the top. Jesus was traveling on this occasion between Galilee and Jerusalem. And of course in the middle between them lay Samaria. And He had to go through Samaria there. And as He nears a certain village and is entering in, there meet Him ten men and they're lepers. And they're standing afar off. They're not anywhere near Him. And they, they cry out to Him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And if we had that disease, I'm sure we would have hollered loud as we could. So they were trying to get the Lord's attention before He passed by. They'd heard of Jesus and, and His ability to heal people. And they're, they're full of leprosy, all ten of them. And they're isolated from society. Now Jesus could have said to these ten lepers, Be thou healed. And the leprosy would have departed just like that. But He didn't do that. He made a statement. If you'll notice there on the back side, Luke 17, 14, When He saw them, He said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. Now why would He tell them that? Why would He say, Go show yourselves unto the priest? Why didn't He say, Be healed? Why did they need to go see priest? Well, if we would had time, we could study Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14, and that's the law of Moses regarding leprosy and skin disease. Let me just tell you a little bit briefly about it. When a person was suspected of having leprosy or some disease of the skin, he went to the priest and he showed them the spots on his skin, wherever they might be. And uh, if, he, if the priest couldn't make a determination on whether he had this disease or not, he locked him up for about seven days, for about a week. Isolated him off. After the, that week passed, while well, he came back to the priest, if the priest still couldn't make a diagnosis one way or another, they locked him up another week. Till finally, after those, each of those seven day periods, he was brought to the priest. And if it was discovered that he had leprosy or some of these diseases like this, he was isolated away from the whole congregation. 
In other words, if he had a family, he was taken away from them, his wife, his children. He was isolated completely away. If he ran a business, that's too bad. He got isolated away from society. And he might find other lepers, as these ten did, that he might run with and have some kind of association. But just picture, if you will, will now, being isolated from everybody you love, from your workplace, from your wife or your husband, from your children, from your grandchildren, whoever it be. Think about that. It was a horrible, horrible disease and one that the physicians couldn't cure. And so they isolated people off like this, and if anybody approached them, they had to holler, Unclean! Unclean! and warn them, because if anybody came near them or touched them, they were unclean. And so they had no contact whatsoever other than with somebody like them. Now Jesus, of course, as He gets near them, uh, they're still quite a ways off, and they holler at Him for cleansing, and He says, Go show yourself to the priest. And the reason He did that is, that if you thought that you might be clean, you went back to the priest, and the priest examined you. And indeed, if you were clean, you, uh, you shaved all the hair off your body, head to toe, every place, eyebrows, everything. Completely shaved all the hair. You had to wash or bathe in water. Your clothes, of course, had to be changed out. Animal sacrifices had to be made. There were all kinds of rituals that had to be done. And so if you thought that you were clean, you showed yourself to the priest. He's the one that had to pronounce you clean. And if you were clean, then you could ultimately take your place in society with your family or whatever. And so Jesus then did not heal these people instantly. He tells them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. Now there on the back you'll see verse 14 again. Look at it. When He saw them, He said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Look at that statement. You see, they, Jesus wanted them to act in faith. He wanted them to act as if they were already clean. He wanted them to go show themselves to the priest as if they were already cured. But they weren't cured. They could see that they still had this leprosy. See, And so they acted on faith at the Lord's command. They started off to the priest. And the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. Suddenly they looked down and now their flesh is clean. The leprosy has gone, see. One of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, turned back to Jesus and gave him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? We've studied what Samaritans are several times, haven't we? He was a mixed race Jew is what he is. After the death of Solomon, when the kingdom divided and the Jews were split, you had ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. Ultimately, Assyria conquered the ten tribes in 721 B.C., deported a lot of them out of the land and moved Gentiles, heathen people, back into the land of Canaan. And they intermarried with the remnant of that ten tribes that were left and produced a mixed race that was called the Samaritan. And the Jews hated them because they had polluted their bloodline, they had forsaken the law of God, and they looked upon them as dogs, as, as no good. But the only one that returned that day to give thanks to Jesus was a Samaritan. He was this old mixed race Jew that everybody looked down on. And he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Jesus looked at him and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And the Lord tells him, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
I would ask you this morning what you think of those nine lepers. What do you think about those guys? Kind of despicable, isn't it? If there's anything despicable in a human being, it's really ingratitude. I want you to think about it. Think about young people. Think about children, for example, who never seem to be grateful to their parents for everything that's done for them. Let's take these little ones that are here today that are being raised up. <clears throat> Before they're grown, these parents right here will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on these children, just like we spent on you and me. They've got to be educated and fed and housed and clothed and doctored, dental work, all kinds of, of things will be spent on them. And they will have thousands and thousands of dollars in these children by the time they're grown, just trying to raise them and provide for their needs and give them as good a start and, and training in life as they can possibly give them. And so many times we see young people that have had all of these things done for them by parents. They backtalk their parents, they're unruly, they're disobedient, and uh, it's, it's just horrible to see that when kids act up like that and have no respect at all for their parents or for the authority of their parents or for what's been done for them. There is no gratitude. It's just gimme, 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 and let me go do what I want and, and, and have nothing to do with mom and dad and what they want done, see. It's a despicable thing in a young person, but I'll tell you what's worse. What's worse is to see it in you and I that are older, is to see people who aren't grateful for what other folks do for us continually. And usually every day there are people that touch our lives in many ways. It might be a paper boy. It might be the, the fellow that comes to pick up the garbage. It could be somebody with a kind word or deed at work or at school or in the neighborhood. There are people that constantly do things for us all the time. And yet sometimes you see adults that don't seem to be grateful for anything that's done for them. It's a despicable thing in a human being. And I wonder if you and I see it in children or in other grown folks and it's detestable to us, I wonder how God feels this morning. He's got over seven and seven billion people on the earth right now that He's created in His image. I wonder how many this morning have stopped to go to church, have stopped to worship Him today, are thinking about Him. I wonder how many are sleeping right now, are just careless about things, sitting at home, getting ready for ball games. Many of them crowded already into the stadiums today, tailgating, drinking, partying. No thought about God whatsoever. You know, He looks down on this continually, on a human race that shows Him no gratitude whatsoever, that will not worship Him, that will not study the Bible, will not read His Word, who cares really nothing about God that gives them life. And every breath they draw comes from the hand of Almighty God, and yet they're never grateful. And I'm just saying that if we think ingratitude is detestable, as we see it, surely God must be totally repulsed by it every day as He looks down on this earth to see billions of people who care nothing about Him, though He continues to give them life and breath and all things. See. So we're going to talk about gratitude this morning, and I want to raise three questions that we'll answer from the Bible. Number one, I want to answer the question, what does the Bible teach about gratitude? Secondly, I want to talk about why we are not more grateful. And thirdly, I want, to, I want to raise the question, how can we overcome ingratitude in our life? And we'll talk about that as well. Let's raise this first question, though. 
what does the Bible teach about gratitude? And what I, what I will just simply say about it, though we could say a lot more, is that the Bible says it's the will of God that you and I be grateful, that we be thankful. Let's read Ephesians 5, 18-20. Paul said to the church at Ephesus here in Ephesians, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now notice, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to give thanks always for all things. That's what the Bible says. Again in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Look at that statement. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus, what? That in everything we give thanks. It's the will of God that we be grateful. And I do not believe that unthankful people, ungrateful people will go to heaven. I do not. Part of doing the will of God, and we stress doing the will of God. Look there at Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Who goes to heaven? They that do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? <coughs> well, part of it's this, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Part of the will of God is that we give thanks. And I'm simply saying that if we're not thankful, we're not doing the will of God. And if we don't do the will of God, we won't go to heaven. And I do not believe unthankful people are going to heaven. These people that take God for granted, who care nothing about Him, who do not give Him the thanks and the credit that He deserves. So the answer to the first question is very simple. What, is the, what does the Bible say about gratitude? That it is the will of God that we be thankful. Now, if it's the will of God that we be thankful, that raises the next question. Why aren't we more grateful? Why aren't people more grateful if that's God's will? And I'm going to suggest to you two reasons why. Number one, we get absorbed in our gifts and we forget the giver. We do that. That's what happened, I think, to the nine lepers. They got absorbed in the gift they would just got from Jesus and they forgot the giver of it. See? Because let's think about these lepers a minute. I mentioned a moment ago, they were isolated. They were isolated. If they had a wife, these men had been separated from their wife a long time. No companionship. They were lonely. This woman that they loved with all their heart, they couldn't be with. See? If they had any children, they'd been isolated from their kids. If they ran a business or had a job, they had not been able to work, had not been able to run the business that they had. If they farmed, they couldn't farm. They couldn't do what they had normally been doing. They'd just been isolated off. And now, here comes Jesus by, and they've hollered at Him for mercy. And He said, Go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, It came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. And they look down, and they see that their flesh now is clean. And they get so absorbed in that, and they can't wait to get to the priest, see, to shave that hair off, and to wash and bathe, and to change their clothes, and to have the sacrifices offered that they need to offer according to the law, where the priest can pronounce them clean. They don't have time 
to go back and say thank you to Jesus. In other words, they got absorbed with their gift and they forgot the giver, didn't they? And that's how we have a tendency to be sometimes. We, we get absorbed in all the things we have. James 1 and verse 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Sometimes we get our blessings from God, and we get absorbed in what we have, and we forget the one that gave it to us. I'm going to tell on Julie for just a moment. When she was a little girl, I got her, I don't remember the gift now, Julie, but it was a special gift, I thought, that, that uh, it was really a gift that Daddy was going to get a big old hug for this one. So I gave her that gift, and uh, I was expecting her to run to me and hug my neck and thank you, Daddy, and all this. She went off in the corner and started playing with it. <laughs> now, that, a kid will do that. A child will do that, and I understood that. She got absorbed with her gift, and she forgot to give her, see. You expect that of kids, but not of us adults. And with God, we get absorbed in our gifts, and we forget the giver. James says all of these gifts come from God, see, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. By shadow of turning, of course, he's talking about they, there's never a stop to them. There's never an eclipse. God's blessings are never eclipsed. There's never a shadow of turning. He's talking about like the earth turns and there'll be a shadow and eclipse of the sun. But with God, there's never a shadow of turning. There's never an eclipse. His blessings never stop, see. And so we need to be grateful. So we get absorbed with our gifts and forget the giver. And the second reason why I think that we're, we're not more grateful than we should be is that we just assume that God knows and that other people know how grateful we are. I read a story one time of a lady named Mrs. Carlisle, married to a guy named Thomas. She was Mrs. Thomas Carlisle, and this woman died of a broken heart. You know, grief will kill you. <coughs> grief will kill you. You can die of a broken heart. But she, had, she kept a diary, and she had written in her diary this about her husband. She said, quote, Thomas never praises me. If he says nothing, which he does, I have to be content that things are all right, unquote. She wrote that her husband never praised her. Think of that. Here's old Thomas. She's been married to him all this time. She has uh, been a companion to him and a partner, has gratified his sexual needs or whatever, has washed his clothes, has cooked his meals, has been a great companion to him all these years, and yet he never praised her. And she said, if he, if he says nothing, which is what he does, then I just have to assume that everything's okay. Isn't that pathetic? When you've got a husband here and a wife that does all this stuff and he never thanks her and he never praises her, see? And that works the other way, ladies. It works the other way with a husband that works hard and labors and provides a good living and is good with the children and a great companion and very faithful to you and, and uh, supports you in every way gives you all that you need in your life, and yet you never say thank you. There's so many, so many marriages like that. It's pathetic. Uh, I read one time of a wife that finally got some nerve to confront her husband. She said, Honey, you, you never tell me that you love me. You never tell me you appreciate me. You never do that. 
The husband looked at her and said, I told you that I loved you 20 years ago when I married you, and if I ever changed my mind, I'll tell you. And uh, isn't that pathetic? So sometimes with people we just assume that they know we're grateful, see, and we don't make the effort to tell them. I was uh, spending the night, this has been two or three years ago, in Forest City, Arkansas. I had come out of either Alabama or Tennessee, I don't remember where I'd been preaching. A lot of times when I come out of those eastern states, I'll close a meeting out on Sunday afternoon and I'll try to get through Memphis and uh, get on the west side of it, get on, or east side, get on the Arkansas side and spend the night somewhere because it's usually midnight or so when I get through Memphis. And I'd stopped at Forest City and spent the night there at a, at a, at a hotel and the next morning when I got up there was a there was a, a black woman, she was a maid uh, that was coming to clean rooms, going down the aisle. But this woman was extremely friendly, just very friendly. And I don't know why, she seemed happy and greeted me, uh, very excited, you know, with a big smile. And you could just tell she had a really good personality about her, just a really good woman. And I walked on by her, I spoke to her, and I got to thinking about her as I walked by. And I turned around and went back. And I said, I want to thank you, you know, for what you do around here. And I said, I appreciate how friendly you were today. And I said, you know, friendliness kind of pays off sometimes. And I handed her a $20 bill. She said, I'm going to tell my boys about that. I've been trying to tell them about being friendly and, and uh, you know, speaking with people and things like this, you know. And I said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So I hope she tells them the story about that white man that turned around and gave her a 20 that day and everything. But we forget people like her, see. Most time when I stay in a hotel, and I'm not tooting my horn, but I'll, I'll go in the uh, breakfast area and have breakfast, and I know that maid in there, the cook, is probably not making a whole lot of money. And I'll either, I'll go back sometimes into the room back there where she's at. I'll slip her some money. That's kind of a little tip just to let her know I appreciate it, that somebody thanks her. If every guest in the hotel would do that, she'd make quite a bit of money every day. If they just gave her a dollar, you know, and 50 or 100 people stopped and gave her a buck, you know, at breakfast, the woman would make a pretty good little income, but not everybody will do that. And I'm just saying, uh, don't take for granted that people in your life know that you're grateful. Tell them. And don't take God for granted. Tell God and tell others, thank you. Just the, the little people in your life, if you will. If you've got an employer and, and they're good to you, why not go tell them that? That's not, uh, you know, that, that's, not Im, that's not improper to do that. Tell them, you know, I really appreciate my job here. I appreciate how good you are to me. And I just want to thank you. Or tell that to your co-workers or people that work for you. You're doing such a good job, and I'm so glad you work for me, and I appreciate that very much. Or tell that to people at school, or tell it to people at home, or part, part of your family, or, or folks out in the community that serve you in various capacities. If we could just go around and tell folks how much we appreciate them and, and, and care for them and all. Let them know and don't take for granted that they already know. See. And certainly let's not neglect to tell God that we're grateful for His gifts and for what He does. So we've looked at two of these questions thus far. 
Number one, what does the Bible teach about gratitude? It's the will of God that we be thankful. Second, uh, why aren't we more grateful? We get absorbed with our gifts and forget the giver, and we take for granted that God and others already know we're grateful. Number three now, and that is this, how can we overcome ingratitude in our life? In other words, how can we become more grateful and more thankful than what we are? And I'm going to suggest three ways that we can do that. The first way I want to suggest is that we count our blessings and not our bruises. Count your blessings and not your, your bruises, because if we're not careful, we, we tend to emphasize the bad things in our life, our have-nots instead of our haves. We do. We're like that. Somebody can mention a certain date. They'll, they'll mention the year, say, 2001. Somebody will say, well, I remember that. That's the year I broke my leg. We remember that year because we broke our leg that year. Then the years before 2001 are pre-broken leg years, and then after 2001 they're post-broken broken, post -broken leg years, and we date our lives around tragedies, don't we? You know, 2001 we could, have, we could have gotten a raise at work. We didn't have to focus on the broken leg. That might be the year we got a raise. That might be the year we signed the deal on our house. It might be the year we bought a new car. It might be the year a child was born. It might be the year that an anniversary occurred or a graduation or some other great blessing, you see. But we, we, we major on the, on the bruises, on our have-nots, upon the bad parts in life and not upon the good things. How many of you, if uh, let's say you've got a car that won't start, you get all upset because you go out one day and the car won't start? Well, that's just how it is with cars. There are just times they're not going to start. But we never think about all the times we went out there and turned that key and it just started right up. I've seen people get bent out of shape because the refrigerator goes out or the washer breaks down. What about all the times we did those loads of laundry and it functioned good? Or that refrigerator that served us for 12, 15, 20 years? See, We don't think about that. We think about the bad things if we're not careful. See. So we major and, and we count our bruises instead of our blessings. And we need to learn to be thankful even when things go bad in life. I read one time of a little boy, and you know, as a general rule, little boys don't like to wear glasses. But this little boy said he was thankful for his glasses. Somebody asked him, why? Why are you thankful for glasses? Well, he said, it keeps the other boys from hitting me and the girls from kissing me. So we found a reason why to be thankful for the glasses. And we can always find a, a reason to be thankful for inconvenient things. Matthew Henry, I don't know if you know of Matthew Henry, some of you may not. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary on the whole Bible. The whole Bible. That commentary is probably twice as thick as this Bible. I think it took him about 20 years or so to write it. And uh, but he had his house robbed one time, and here's a quote out of his diary, and I put it for you here in the second column down near the bottom, what Matthew Henry said after his house had been robbed. He said, quote, let me be thankful first, because he never robbed me before. Second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. Third, because although he took all I had, it wasn't much. 
Fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. I love that one. Now, there's nothing more contemptible hardly than a thief. Someone that will just take things that don't belong to them, uh, don't care how much value it has to the person they took it from, whether it's been a family item, a, an heirloom that's very valuable, very sentimental. A thief doesn't care. He just steals. And now Henry here has had his, had his house robbed, and look at his reaction here. Thankful that he never robbed him before, that although he took his purse, he didn't take his life, that although he took all he had, it wasn't much. And fourth, he said, I'm thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. See, he found different ways to be thankful even for that tragedy in his life. That's what I'm talking about. Now, we've had some here recently that were damaged by tornadoes. And Zach, y'all are lucky to have your life, and I'm sure that y'all have counted your blessings, that you've lost a lot, but it could have been a whole lot worse. And at least you're, you're alive and you're healthy and you weren't injured, and there's so many things to be thankful for in that. It's, it's good when we could learn to be thankful even for our troubles. I read one time of a fellow that uh, he had an old mule named John, an old farm mule. John had been a great old mule, and uh, he'd worked on the farm and, and uh, just been a tremendous asset to this farmer. But John got old, and the old mule went blind, and the farmer didn't want to kill him didn't want to put him out of his misery. He didn't have the heart. And finally he decided, I'm going to turn old John out in the field and just let him graze, let him get old out there, and let him die naturally. Brother Clarence Carson out at Aurora's got an old horse that he did like that. I've been out at Clarence's house, and he showed me this old horse, and it was blind. But he'd, he had been such a good old horse that Clarence just couldn't get rid of him. And he finally decided, I'm just going to let John, I'm just going to let this old horse graze until he dies out here. Finally, the old horse did die, and everything. But this man didn't want to kill that old mule. He just turned him out, and he's blind. And one day, that mule was going across the field, and there was a deep pit out there in that field. I guess the farmer hadn't thought of it, but that old blind mule staggered off in that pit, and he got down in it, and he couldn't get out. One day the old farmer was gone and his sons were going across the field and they came up on that pit and there was that old mule in it and they thought, man, this is the perfect time to get rid of old John. Dad won't get rid of him. Dad's gone. We'll, we'll just put this mule out of his misery right here. And what they decided was we are going to bury him alive. We've got him in the grave right now. We've got him in the pit. We'll just bury him right here. So they went back to the barn, got their shovels came back to the pit and they started shoveling dirt and they'd scoop that dirt and throw it in on that old mule and it'd land on John's back and John would shake that dirt off and tromp and they'd shovel and land on John and he'd shake and tromp and they kept shoveling and John kept shaking. Pretty soon they filled up the hole and John walked out. See, see. Because the very thing that they thought would bury him alive was really what he needed to get him out of the pit. Sometimes in life when we have bad things happen, that's what we need. We need that tragedy. We need that sickness. We need that problem. We need that burden to wake us up, to bring us around, and to get us out of the pit. Not everything that happens to us for the bad is really bad. It's really ultimately for our good if we look at it right. And we have a promise in Romans 8 and 28, if you'll read there. 
that we need to believe. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now there's a condition there. God has promised this, I will work everything to your good if you love me. If you love me. He doesn't promise that to people that don't love Him, that won't serve Him, that won't come to church, that won't study, that won't be His, that won't obey Him. But if we love Him, He says, I'll ultimately work everything to your good. And as we think about that then, there's nothing that can happen to us that ultimately God won't bring good out of. Now it may be in the hereafter, but ultimately He will work good out of that problem, whatever it is. And God has promised great things to us. I want you to look on the back there at Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. These are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. They've been a source of help and inspiration to me many times. And I want you to listen to Paul here. Let's just read the full uh, set of verses and then we'll come back and talk about them one by one. Paul said, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's look at these verses for just a moment. Look at verse 31 again. What shall we say then to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? Do you all know anybody greater than God? God is for us. He is for you. He's not against you. Now a lot of people can be against us, and the, the devil we know is against us. But if God is for us, who can be against us that's greater than God? That's what Paul means, and the answer is nobody. And God's for you and me. So it doesn't matter who comes against us. It can be the government. It can be friends. It can be family. It can be brothers and sisters. It can be neighbors. It could be the, the employer, the boss. It could be anybody. It could be the devil himself. But you see, God is for us, and who can be against us? Nobody greater than God. Verse 32, Paul said, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? And I believe Paul means this, that God has already given you and I the greatest gift He had to give, and that's Jesus. He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If He's already given me the greatest thing that He's got, and that's Jesus, and He has, then supplying me with food and clothing and necessities of life is nothing. God, see, because He's already spared not His own Son. He's given the greatest gift He had to give. 
Anything else He gives me now is easy. See, it's easy. And He's promised to supply our needs, hasn't He? If we'll put Him first. Verse 33, He says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. The word justify means to declare right somebody to be righteous. It means to acquit or declare them righteous. When God justifies you and I, who's going to lay anything to our charge? If God says, for example, that Zach is just, who's going to charge Zach with anything? Well, somebody might say, well, I remember when Zach got angry and lost his temper, said some things he shouldn't have done. Yeah, he might have done that, but God forgave him. And how are you going to charge Zach with anger? Because when God looks at his record, it's not there. He's already forgiven it. He's been justified, see. Doesn't make any difference what somebody can dredge up out of Zach's life in the past. It's gone. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies it. And when God looks at one of you and says, You are just, you are righteous, you are holy, then it doesn't make any difference what was done in the past. That's gone. See that blessing? See what we have working for us? This is what Paul's trying to tell us here. See? And we get bent out of shape because the refrigerator goes out. See? Read on with me. It gets even better. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who's going to condemn a faithful Christian? Answer, nobody. And Paul gives four reasons why right here. Number one, it is Christ that died. Number two, yea, rather that's risen again. Number three, who is even on the right hand of God. Number four, who also maketh intercession for us. The reason you can't condemn a faithful Christian is this. Christ died. He's risen. He's at the right hand of God. And He makes intercession for us. That's what's working in her favor. So to condemn a faithful Christian, you've got to do away with Christ and His death. You've got to take away His resurrection. You've got to remove Him from the right hand of God. And you've got to stop Him from interceding for us. But it's Christ that died, rather that's risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And that's why no one can condemn a faithful Christian. He goes on. Let's read a, a swath of Scripture here. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, the answer is nobody. And he says, Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And the answer is none of those things. See? As it is written, For thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Angels can't separate us. Principalities and powers. The government can't. It can make any law it wants to make. It can lock us up. It can persecute us. It can do anything it wants, but it'll never separate us from the love of God in Christ. Death can't do that. Life can't do it. 
things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature. None of those things can separate us from God's love. See. The only one that can is us. We came to God of our own free will and we can leave Him of our own free will. But the devil or the government or other people or angels or anyone else can't do a thing to us. And so we need to, to count our blessings and not our bruises. Do you all see that? That's how we can overcome ingratitude. The second way that we can overcome our ingratitude is consider, consider how much more we prosper than anybody else on earth in this country. We've got third world countries. If you ever go to those, you'll kiss the ground when you get back to America. I promise you, you will. I've been over to Africa. I don't like Houston, Texas, but it looked pretty good to me when I landed. America looked great, folks. I've been down in old Mexico. When I crossed the border at Laredo and came back out of there, the first thing I saw was the golden arches. I still remember them. And I went and got me a, a quarter pounder with cheese right then. You know. I couldn't wait to get back to America. There's nothing like America. There's nothing like this country. I promise you, there's nothing like it. And uh, there was a fellow one time that wrote a book called The Great Ascent. And in that book he talked about what you and I would lose if we were suddenly reduced to the economic level of billions of people on earth. And I want to read a quote out of that book from you. I put it in the third column where you could have the quote. There it is, you see near the top in light print. And here's what it would do if we were reduced to the, the level of, of over a billion people on earth at that time and probably more now. And I'm going to stop and just talk about these as we go through it. Quote, he said, Take away all the furniture, saving a few old blankets, a kitchen table, and one chair. And I want you to think about going back home today. And when you go in your place, wherever you're living, the only furnishings you have in that house are a few old blankets, a kitchen table, and one chair. There's no television. There's no couch. There's no recliner. There's no refrigerator. There's no stove and range. There's, there's none of these things. No microwave. No blender. No appliances. No, no tableware. You walk in and you've got a few old blankets, a kitchen table, and one chair. Then he said, take away all the clothing except for the oldest dress or suit, a shirt or blouse, and a pair of shoes for the head of the house. Now how much is in your closets right now? How, many, how, many, how much clothes do you have? Ladies, how many shoes do you have? Maybe we ought to start there. Several? If you're like most women, you've probably got a color for every kind of dress you got. <laughs> no. You got shoes everywhere. But he said you take away all the clothes except for the oldest dress or suit. So your oldest dress when you go home is all you got. Uh, a shirt or blouse. You got one shirt or blouse. Roy, you just got one shirt in the closet. One pair of shoes for the head of the house. I'll let you married couples decide who would be wearing the shoes. But the head of the house wears them. And that's all the clothes you've got. Now think about your closets right now and how many clothes are there. Then he said, empty the cupboards of all food with the exception of a small bag of flour, some sugar and salt, 
a few molded potatoes, a handful of onions, and a dish of fried beans. Now I want you to think about your refrigerator and your freezer, your pantry. I want you to think about all the food that's stored back right now. You've got meat, you've got some, maybe some canned goods, you've got, well just think of all the different kinds of food, crackers and peanut butter and syrup and oatmeal and cereal and, and uh, potatoes and vegetables of all kinds and bread and you just got everything laid back. Now you go home after church and you find that in your house you've got a small bag of flour, you've got some sugar and salt, you've got a few molded potatoes, and you've got a dish of fried beans. That's it. Then he said, dismantle the bathroom, shut off the water, remove the electrical wiring, in fact take away the house itself and move the family into a tool shed. So how'd you like to live in a tool shed today? No running water, no bathroom, no electricity. That's how most people have it today. Then he said cancel all subscriptions to newspapers, magazines, and book clubs. Put the nearest clinic or hospital ten miles away and put a midwife in charge instead of a doctor. Discard the bank book, uh-oh, no checkbook, see. Discard the bank book, stock certificates, pension plans, insurance policies, leave the family with five dollars in cash. You know, I know a lot of people I think that would commit suicide if they had five dollars to their name, if that's all they had. Five dollars. Think of that. Now you've accumulated surely a little bit. Most of us have a little more than five dollars. Think about if that's all you had to your name. He said, Give the head of the family three tented acres to cultivate, on which he'll make three hundred dollars in cash crops. Now that's your annual income, gross, three hundred dollars. You've got three acres, you don't even own the land, and you're going to make $300 in cash crops, gross, one-third of which will go to the landlord, so that'll leave you $200, and a tenth of it to the money lender, a tenth of that $300 to be $30. You lose $30 and you lose $100 to the landlord out of $300, you lose $130. That leaves you with $170 net income for the year. How would you like to make $170 a year? Folks, we have all gone to eat after church on Sunday and spent more than $170. How would you like for that to be your annual income, net, after expenses? Now divide that into a month, you're, you're looking around 15 bucks or so a month. How'd you like to have that for an income? That's how some people in this world have it. Finally, he said, cut off 25 to 30 years life expectancy for every member of your family. A lot of us would be in the grave right now if 25 or 30 years had been cut off our life. A good part of us here would be. And we nag and complain when the refrigerator goes out. 
when the car won't start, when we have a little bump in the road. So if you want to overcome ingratitude, think about all the material blessings you've got and how much more you have than most people right now on this earth and other countries. Finally, number three, we ought to consider our spiritual blessings that we have as Christians versus those who aren't. Ephesians 1 and 3, there on the back, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you're a Christian today, you've got all spiritual blessings that God gives to His children. Righteousness, peace, joy, comfort, hope, strength, courage, all of these things that God can bless us with that money can't even purchase. The wealthiest person on earth can't buy these things. They're not for sale. The poorest person on earth can have every one of them if they're a child of God. I read a story once of a tax collector that came to, to visit an old Christian man. He was, he was going to assess his property for the purpose of taxes. Now, I get a little bit bent out of shape on tax collectors, I'll tell you. <clears throat> I don't like Arkansas's tax laws, especially property tax. Because every now and then somebody will show up on your property every couple of years, and if you've made improvements to your house or your property, your taxes are going up, and you didn't get a vote. They just came by and reassessed your property, and suddenly they went up. See? But this old tax collector came by this old Christian man's house to assess his property and see what he might owe in taxes, and he, he couldn't make the old Christian man understand what he wanted. Finally, he just shoved a piece of paper underneath him, and he said, write down what you have, you know, told the old man that. And the old man began to write down what he had. He said, I have remission of sins. I have a mansion in heaven. I have peace that passes all understanding. I have joy unspeakable. I have divine love. I have a faithful and pious wife and devoted children. I have true loyal friendship. I have songs in the night. And I have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who supplies my every need freely. And the story goes that the tax collector stood up and closed his book, and he said to the old Christian, Sir, you are a rich man, and it's all tax-free. We are rich people if we're a Christian, and it's all tax-free. The blessings that we have in Jesus, the government can't tax. The blessings that we have spiritually, nobody can take away. The blessings that we have spiritually cannot be bought with money, no matter how wealthy. They belong to anybody that's a Christian, and if you don't have those blessings today, you can have them by becoming a child of God. And here's how you do that. Galatians 3, verse 26, 27. The Bible says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You can believe in Jesus and obey Him in baptism. You can become a child of God. And if you're a child of God today, think about something. You are a wealthy person. 
you're wealthy. You look at me here today, you're looking at a wealthy man. Now materially speaking, I don't have a lot. But I'm a wealthy person because I'm heir to a fortune one day. In Romans 8, if you'll read with me there, verse 14 to 18, the Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you're a Christian today, you are heir to the unsearchable riches of Christ. You have a fortune one day waiting on you. You will inherit everlasting life and all the glories that go with that. Can you imagine what that's worth? Well, this whole world won't buy it and everything in it. Every Christian's rich. They just hadn't got the inheritance yet. But we're heirs to a fortune. See? And so we've raised the question, how do we overcome ingratitude? Number one, by, by counting our blessings and not our bruises. Two, by considering how much we prosper materially more than other, other folks on earth. And number three, by counting our spiritual blessings as Christians. See? We are truly wealthy people in that sense. Now maybe you've looked at the lesson this morning and thought about these things as we've studied. And Have you said to yourself today, you know what, I haven't been as, I haven't been as grateful as I could have been. But I'm going to be from this day forward. I'm going to be more thankful. I'm going to let God know it. I'm going to let other people in my life know how much I've loved them and appreciate them. I'm going to be more grateful. And if you're thinking that this morning, then this time has been worth every moment we've spent just studying this subject. But I'm reminded that we don't just show our gratitude to God by telling God that we're thankful. We, we demonstrate it by how we live. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. If you love the Lord, do what He says. That's the best way to show gratitude. But don't forget to tell God that you're grateful. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.